0: was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. When they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, these men are disturbing our city. They are Jews and they are advocating customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to adopt or observe. The crowd joined in attacking them and the magistrates had them stripped of their clothing and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had given them a severe flogging, they threw them into prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. Following these instructions, the jailer put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, the prisoners were listening to them when suddenly there was an earthquake so violent that the foundation of the prison was shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors wide open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we're all here. The jailer called for lights. And, And rushing in, he fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. At the same hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds. Then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. He brought them up into the house and set food before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We invite our children to be dismissed for their time of worship as we bow together and pray. We read the old, old story, God. And we ask that the same spirit that was present in that prison, that same spirit that could set Slave Girl Free might be present here in this room and in these lives and in this community. Thank you for the gift of scripture, for those who have gone before us, and on this day may we hear something that will allow us to be more faithful in who we are and who we're called to be. In the name of Jesus Christ, the ascended Lord, we pray, amen. That is quite a scripture. It reminds me of when we were kids playing on the playground where the boys would be chasing the girls and then it would seem almost without cue that somehow it would get reversed and the girls would be chasing the boys and the boys would be running in terror because girls had cooties and do girls still have cooties? They ought to fix that. But we chase each other, but you never quite knew who was chasing whom. And this story reminds me of just that. It's a story of reversals where players and roles don't stay put. First, you're being chased, and then you're chasing. First, Paul and Silas are harassed. By the slave girl. And then they're harassing her and casting out a demon. And then the owners are harassed because they've lost their cash cow. And now Paul and Silas are being harassed by them. And then the crowd. And then the magistrates. They're thrown into prison. They're chained. And yet in prison they're singing praises to God. And then there's this custom-made earthquake that opens doors and chains fall off. And no one's killed. And prisoners are freed. Only they're not running they're saying, put, and the guard who was in charge now is on his knees pleading for help. And Paul and Silas are telling him about Jesus, and he believes that's a story. In fact, you might want to call it a tall tale. If you did not believe in the mystery and the energy of, Of that which brings life and liberation in every open opportunity. That which might change the world and be a profound, powerful, palpable presence of love. For shorthand, we use the word God. Sometimes our shorthand means we trivialize things. The question before us today is do we believe in God? Not just as an idea, but as a reality who is at work reversing the patterns that we're used to in the most surprising of ways. In other words, is this a story about the old days? Or is it a testament to the fact that there is sacred life Always among us, waiting to act as in the book of Acts. Waiting to do that which will redeem this world, or maybe your life, or maybe who we are as a church. Changing us and turning us and making the pursued be the pursuer. Making the one who imprisons become the one who is liberated. Ironically, this is a story that centers around a little girl who apparently has no name. She's a slave. And it's interesting to me to see how the different characters in our story respond to this slave girl. There's, of course, the way the owners treat this slave girl. She is simply a commodity to them. She's a means of profits and so motivated by greed and bigotry, by a sense of ownership and entitlement, they exploit her instead of help her. And you and I don't have to look very far into the newspapers or the reports on the television this week to hear story after story about how human beings exploit others for their own selfish means. It's the story of the world we live in. It's the story that came out of the Pentagon this week about the increase in sexual assaults in the military. It's the story from Cleveland, Ohio, of the three young women who, after 10 years of imprisonment, were liberated. It's the story of drug dealers. It's the story of a hospital that spends more money on pharmaceuticals rather than employees because Employees who have lots of pharmaceuticals are easier to take care of. It's the story of the factory in Bangladesh, six stories high that collapsed. The death toll now is over 1,100 people. Who's to blame? Who's the exploiter? We can cast a finger, point a finger at the owners of the building, who obviously cut corners. We can criticize the builders themselves. We could talk about the corporations whose products were being made there. Joe Fresh, Bon Marche, El Corte Inglis, Primark, Mango, and Benetton. As one writer said, their names and logos are all over that collapsed building, soaked in blood. But as we're pointing fingers at them, we also have to point a finger at ourselves, you and me, The buyers, who are either too busy or too greedy to ask where these goods came from and how it is that you and I are able to buy clothing so cheaply. How is that? I think we know. So there's the way that the owners treat this little slave girl, just as a commodity. Then there's the Apostle Paul, who casts this spirit out of the young girl, but Luke doesn't sugarcoat it. He says, quite frankly, Paul was just annoyed at her and just wanted to shut her up. I've been there. I've done that. Maybe you have too. Somebody comes asking for money. You don't really want to hear their story. Here's $10 just to go away. Then there's Luke, the one who wrote this story down for us. Luke is the one who uses her in really as sort of a catalyst for this controversy. He's the one who puts her into the story so that we have a story at all. But I wonder if it ever occurred to Luke to ask what happened to that girl? What's the rest of her story? And then finally, of all the names mentioned, there is the name that affects a change in her, though not present. His name is invoked, Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus, I command you to come out of her, and she is liberated. She's made whole again. This girl who could only look into the future now has a present, has a a life that she can step into. And that's where the problems begin. For the girls, liberation become Paul and Silas's problem. Because for the owners, Paul and Silas had just killed their cash cow. They accuse Paul and Silas. But they do not say, in fact, really why they're mad. They say, they're disturbing our city. We all like a calm, peaceful city. We don't want things in an uproar. And they play the race card. They're Jews. They're bringing customs that are not appropriate for us Romans. But to understand the real reason, as they say, you've got to follow the money. Don't mess with people's money. Paul and Silas are in trouble because they messed with the money. And in the world we live today, when reports come out about the increasing carbon in our atmosphere, its effect on our world, it messes with people's money and they resist. When corporations are challenged to do new and different things, it's not that they're bad people. They're probably good people sitting in churches today, but don't mess with their money. The question today is, Who are we going to follow? Will we follow the money? Or will we follow the spirit? Paul and Silas are beaten. They're stripped. They're thrown into the deepest prisons and they have their legs bound. And it seems incredibly grim. And here I'll throw in a sidebar that sometimes when people go to jail... It's not because they've done bad, it's because they've done good. Sometimes being a good citizen conflicts with being a good follower of Christ. They're thrown into the deepest prison. And yet, Luke writes that they're praying and singing. Praying and singing and the other prisoners are listening in. I'll tell you, they were not singing the top 40 hits. They weren't singing their college fight song. They were singing hymns to God. They were bringing the presence of God, naming the presence of God in the deepest, darkest prison. For that's what we do when we name the name. We make God present, and we bring the power and the possibilities and the peace of God into whatever situation they are in. Who they were, who Paul and Silas were, wasn't determined by their circumstances or their surroundings. Who they were was determined by what was in them, not what was outside of them. And they sang it. We come to church every Sunday. We sing these hymns of faith. Not just as filler. Not just as tradition. We sing them because it puts the faith deep within us. They sing these songs of faith. And something happens. The God who was invisible is suddenly very visible. There's an earthquake. Only Paul and Silas don't escape. They don't run. There's two other stories in the book of Acts where there's a prison doors opened. Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 12, Simon Peter's in prison. The angel of the Lord comes to him, opens the door and says, time to get out of here. And Simon Peter goes, he runs. But Paul and Silas, when the chains are off and the doors are open, they stay exactly where they were. Sometimes being liberated does not necessarily mean that we avoid the danger. Sometimes it means we stand in the very midst of that danger. I think of people like Clarence Jordan, who left the South and had all kinds of career opportunities, but was called by God to stay back in the South, in America's Georgia, to fight for civil rights. I think of Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who here in the United States, safe away from the Nazi invasion in Germany, went back to Germany, and it cost him his life. I think of Lot Carey in our back windows, a slave who bought his freedom but who stayed in the situation. He was called, called. My friend Bill Leonard says, If the rapture comes and I'm still on this earth, I'm not going. He says, I'm not going. Because the call of the Christian is to stay exactly where the need is. Paul and Silas stay where the need is. And it saves the jailer's life. It saved his family's life, you might say. And if we're listening today, it might save our life. They stay where they were. They see this earthquake as a sign of God's presence a sign of the sacred with us. On the day Jesus died, Matthew tells us there was an earthquake. The graves opened. The saints came alive. On Easter morning, something happened to roll that stone back. And here, This earthquake, it's a kind of resurrection, if you will. It's a sign of God's presence confirming and affirming and releasing that which was imprisoned to continue this work of love, to shake the foundations of the system. On this Ascension Sunday, this Sunday when we mark the last of Jesus walking on this earth, We talk about the power and the presence of Christ not being diminished because he's not here physically, but rather that he's here in Paul and in the church. We're here to say, even though Christ isn't present, when we name him, when we sing him into this world we live, God does new things. The question for you and me today is, Do we believe this? Do we believe that there is a reality, a presence, a force, a a God who wants to set people free? Slave girls, Paul and Silas, the jailer, the magistrates. The crowd? It's interesting to me that the one person who sees that God is present, who knows unequivocally that this is a sacred moment, is the jailer, who before this didn't believe, but comes asking, what must I do to be saved? What, what do I do? I don't think he had in mind some... Uh, reduced american understanding of salvation of just believing things about jesus he wants to know what can i do to be part of this revolution this work of love and so paul says believe in the lord jesus christ and you'll be saved you and your household one of the saddest things to me is that the words believe and saved have been so greatly reduced and trivialized They've been turned into a formula when that was never, ever their intent. To believe is to join this revolution of love. To be saved is to be so changed, not just to get a ticket for heaven when you die, it's to be changed in this life. Your values, your priority, your need for security and pleasure, freed even when you're in the stocks, in the deepest prison. You're freed. You're a new person. It's like you're born again. And so is this a tall tale? Or is this a truth that can transform? The reality is that sometimes this transformation happens quickly. Just like that. Paul says the words and the demon comes out of the girl. Just like that. Other times, it's a slow walk. Slow walk. Renita Weems is a pastor-theologian. She has two photographs that she keeps framed on her desk. One is a black-and-white photo from 1957. It's that scene that we, many of us have seen from Central High School in Little Rock, Arkansas, when it is being integrated for the very first time. The picture includes a little girl named Elizabeth, who is African American, walking into the school for the first time, and on her face you can read the spirit of fear. In the background of the picture is another little girl. Her name is Harriet. Harriet. Harriet also is showing something by her face, but in her face you see the spirit of hatred as she's obviously shouting something hatefully at Elizabeth. That's one photograph. The second photograph she keeps next to it is one that was taken 40 years later on the steps of Central High School in Little Rock, Arkansas. There's Elizabeth, now a woman, smiling, and standing next to her with her arm around her is Harriet, who had been converted, changed, slowly, until that day when she wanted to ask for forgiveness and looked up Elizabeth and found her and went to her and asked if they might be reconciled. Sometimes it happens quickly. Other times, it's a slow walk. Sometimes it's as obvious as an earthquake. And other times... Other times, it's like people coming to church Sunday after Sunday, singing the songs, hearing the stories, praying the prayers, and wondering if anything is ever happening until one day they look up and realize... The shackles are gone. The door is open. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. May the power that creates earthquakes, your power, stir among your people in this place, that we might more fully know and find that liberation you desire for all of your children, and we might find that salvation to be so good, so liberating, that we are a different people. Through Christ our leader, we pray. Amen.